Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to help you grow in your faith and navigate the complexity of this world. We're currently in a study titled Fight Club, uh, focusing on how to help men discover their masculine hearts and help women understand what men are navigating through in this world. If you're a man and you're wanting to understand the nature of your masculine heart, this series is for you. If you're a woman and you want to have a deeper understanding of men, then this series is for you. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host and let us welcome our very own Salty Pastor, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, greetings, everyone. Boy, this is really a dicey uh, subject we're talking about today. It may be PG-13. We're going to talk about some things so just a fair warning up front that if you're in the car traveling down the road with your family and your your littles in the back you might want to put your headphones on <laughs> or if you're at home and you're listening to it on the big tv yeah maybe send them to play in the other room yes yes so uh, we we're gonna talk about some really important things today particularly when it comes to men and their sex drives well, last week we started the series off with a bang. Um, we dug into Ephesians chapter 6 and how Paul teaches that all of us are in a spiritual battle, whether mm-hmm. we know it or not. Uh, when it comes to men, it's the fighting of this battle that helps us discover our authentic masculine heart. Mm-hmm. And then on Tuesday, we talked about the battlefield of, of men's sex drive and oh. how, what that looks like. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Pastor Doug? I'm very intrigued on where we're going yeah. on this line of Okay, thought. today's the day of application. Well, let's talk about what's happening in general, and then we'll talk about specifics for men. Okay. And I think generally what men are dealing with right now uh, has been so internalized that every guy thinks, oh, this is a private battle that is just me. And, and some, for some guys, they may even believe there's something wrong with them. Right. But I, I would really want you to, guys to understand, all men need to understand this, and women need to understand this about men, especially if you're a woman who's been hurt by a man's sex drive. If you've been maybe uh, betrayed or wounded by this, I think you need to understand in general what's going on. And in general, the philosophical influence of postmodernism and its resulting deconstructionism has led to the elevation of what is called the expressive self. And so this has been woven into our psyche since the 60s. Now, it was personified then because of a new technology that came out, and that was the pill. Mm. So in that moment, it changed the sexual dynamics between men and women. Now, like any technology, it was an accelerator. It wasn't what caused it. It it was just the catalyst that accelerated a lot of these philosophical beliefs that had been seeded into our culture since the early 1900s. So the pill's not to blame, but it definitely helped accelerate and get us in a direction we are already going. It just got us there faster. Yeah, just like the pandemic did. Right. Just like the pandemic did. And that is, is that people were buying stuff on Am- Amazon existed before, right? Right. The pandemic. And it was popular before. Yeah. But-, but it became a giant that controls everything during the pandemic. Well, like same thing with like uh, video conferencing yeah. or remote working. Remote like, working. There's, I'm assuming a lot of businesses are rethinking their business model and going, yeah. well, if we can not pay the overhead. Yeah, now that we've gone that? through this, why not do it? And that you're saying the pill was similar in the... Yeah, it was a catalyst that accelerated these ideas and thoughts that were already seeded into the culture. And what was seeded into the culture and accelerated and then became preeminent in the 60s, and that is, is that you were taught in your culture 
Whether you're a male or a female, a man or a woman, you are now taught from your earliest inception that you are to worship as a God your sex drive. Mm. This is called the expressive self. That is, is that what's going on internally inside of you is the most important thing in reality, and therefore you should listen to whatever your inner self is saying as revelatory, right? It has the power of God in your life. It tells you everything you need to know about who you are as a person, what your identity is, and how to navigate this world. In in philosophy, it's called the expressive self. And it's a form of solipsism. And solipsism is this notion, it's a philosophical tenet that basically says that since you can only, in this metaphysical reality, you can only prove that you exist. See, uh, I can't prove that Jesse exists. I really can't do that in a rational way. All I can do is prove that Doug exists and what Doug feels and thinks exists. So that's the only reality that ultimately exists. So I am worshiping myself and my inner self. And the whole point of liberty and freedom in America has has morphed from uh, freedom to go do my own thing to now freedom means I get to express whatever I want to be, and you have to like it and affirm it. Mm. If you don't like what I'm expressing and you don't affirm and accept what I'm affirming, which is a form of fascism and totalitarianism, has nothing to do with freedom and liberty. But if I can force you to accept that, then that validates me. And if you don't do that, there's something wrong with you. You have a phobia or you are... uh, uh, some type of uh, thinker with a mental deficiency. Uh, so that's where our, our society has been for 50 years. Mm. We're not talking one decade. We're talking right. 50, 60 years where it's exploded. And so what happens is now, in a general sense, what you see is that the sex drive in American culture is the God that individuals worship. So whatever your sex drive tells you, you are to take that as a revelation from God. Here's, here's examples of how this works, okay? Uh, right now, most boys are exposed to pornography in the 8th or ninth grade. Mm. So they're like 14, 15. They're right just entering into puberty, the height of puberty. Their body is just changing like crazy. Uh, you know, they're, wor- they're waking up with erections. They might have wet dreams. They might have all of these things that young boys that enter into puberty have to deal with because their body is changing dramatically, all right? So what happens is they're exposed to pornography. Now, the, the sex drive within a man is extremely powerful, and so what happens is whatever a, a boy who is uh, entering into the development of a sex drive, whatever he sees is going to imprint on his brain and be internalized, all right? So if the first pornography that that boy sees is gay porn, is two guys going after it, he's going to get sexually aroused whether he wants to or not. Right. See, this, this is the point. Whether he wants to or not, when he sees those sexual images, he will get aroused. Okay? Now, 
what's happening is that he's going to say, oh, I was aroused by that. Therefore, the expressive cell says that means you are gay. See how that works? Right. Because you saw it. Uh, it works this way. If he sees a scene with a tattooed, highly curvaceous woman, then he believes that's my sexual type. That's my type of woman. Right. You know, uh, if he if he reads anything, if he reads any erotica, if he is exposed to it in any way, shape or form, guess what? Boom. Now, what it used to be before pornography was so prevalent is what would imprint on guys is uh, like an American culture is they would go to a high school dance, you know, and the first time a girl would dance with him and maybe his first kiss, you know. So now he has a living human being, a female in front of him, and that's his, he's sexually aroused and that imprints on him. And so from that forward, he's going to be attracted to girls like that. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, what I'm doing is I'm just saying is that philosophically, what the expressive self has done is it has taught us to worship our sex drive, and then the world manipulates our sex drive. Okay. The world manipulates it. Satan uses it through pornography and our highly sexualized society to say, well, I'm going to manipulate your orientation. I'm going to manipulate your attraction because we know this. Our sexual attraction changes. It changes. It, when, you're, when you're 18, you don't believe that. When you're 48, you believe that. <laughs> and you know it to be true. You'll be sexually attracted to many different types of women for different reasons. Uh, you'll be attracted to different situations, you know? Right. Um, there's all these different things. So our sex drive cannot be a God that we worship that tells us who we are. And when we do that, like on Tuesday, we talked about the biblical teaching, is that what we do is we then forget its intent and purpose, that it was given to us by God, we were to embrace it, because it accomplishes the purpose of building intimacy between us and another person. We don't listen to it. We tell it right. what we want it to do. And so the problem is, is that we have been taught from our earliest stage to listen to it. And when you listen to it, it becomes a God and our society worships that. Here, here, here's a perfect example. Um, uh, there's a guy you, many of us may not be aware of him. His name is Philip Schofield, and he is a celebrity in England, in Great Britain. Okay. He uh, is on one of the morning programs there. He's 59 years old, and he is also kind of the host of their version of Dancing with the Stars and okay. some of these other types of things. He used to host these children's programs when he came to prominence. So he's, he's been around a long time on TV, a celebrity and so forth. And so he had a girlfriend and he and his girlfriend lived together and dated for a very, very long time. And then in 1993, so I want everybody to hear the dates in 1993, he got married. So he and her got married okay. and then they had two children. Okay. So they've been married for 25, 27 years, raising these kids and so forth like that. So they've had a sexual relationship for quite a while. Okay. Right. So in February of 2020, in, an, in a national thing, he came out and said, uh, I'm leaving my wife. I'm leaving my family because I'm coming to terms with the fact that I'm gay. So I've always been gay. Okay. Okay. 
So what did our society do when he said that? What do you think? I'm sure they went, congrats, good job. We're so proud of you. You're so courageous to be your true self, your authentic self. So, So what I find interesting about this is that if a man, okay, if a man today is married to a woman for 25 years with two kids, and he comes home and he says, I want to go and have sex and be sexually attracted and pursue sexual relationships with other women. What would our society say to that man? Uh, you're, you're running around on your wife and you're such a bad person and you need yeah. to be true to the commitment you made and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So what I see that is overt hypocrisy. It's a incongruent. It's a contradiction, you see. And and so the the truth of the matter is is that in Philip Schofield's case is that uh, he is worshiping his expressive self. His inner drive and feelings are the God that society worships. And what I find so interesting is that the more out of than what we would consider normal, like the pursuit of gay relationships or homosexual relationships, the pursuit of polyamory, you know, uh, the pursuit of all these different things uh, are considered freeing and wonderful in your true self. But uh, if w- the closer you get to what would can be considered a traditional morality is considered, oh, if you don't follow that, then you're a bad person. See, I find this all incredibly hypocritical and incongruent. So what does that say? Do we just make zero mores? Or maybe, just maybe, the thing that drives this morality, the thing that pushes men to misperceive their sexual drive and its purpose, is that our society is crazy. It's upside (laughs) down. It's just lost its mind because philosophically it constantly is telling young boys who are becoming men, illogical, irrational things. You know, uh, if we want a society where women can walk around freely without fear of sexual assault, sexual advances at work, if we want to uphold the value of the me too movement where women don't have to, uh, succumb to those types of things, uh, then, then we can't have the opposite with Philip Schofield and we worship and celebrate whatever he irresponsible thing that he wants to do. You know, his poor wife now has to suffer in science, silence where the whole world is clapping and cheering him on. Her life has fallen apart, right? You know, over 30 years of her life. And she has to raise these two kids alone while he gallivants off and does whatever he wants to do. Mm. And we, and society applauds that. So I, I think that there's an incongruence there. That's a real issue. It's a real problem when it comes to us as men trying to figure out what is the intent, purpose, and role of our own sex drive. We can't really listen to our society to give us any guide. As a matter of fact, our society is trying to undermine and train us to think in a way that we worship it instead of seeing the intent and purpose of his sex drive. So if a man doesn't understand the nature uh, or the purpose of his sex drive and why it exists, then the world really can just easily manipulate them into kind of whatever they want him to do with that. So 
Yeah, and he'll and that's one of the things I think that men hate losing battles, you know, that's part of our makeup. We hate losing and right. and when we're in a situation where it's always lose 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 lose, we we usually pick three or four options, right? One is we ignore it and forget about it, you know? Right. And number 2, the other thing we'll do is we'll medicate so we don't think about it, right? Mm. You know, or we distract we go in another direction. And so this is where the battle has to be fought. Uh, if you want to be a man and you want to feel like a man and have a, and you want to be proud of who you are as a man, and if you want to see your masculine heart released in order to become the man you know that God is calling you to be, then this is where you must fight the battle. The world has lied to you and created a false God in your life. This is the way a strong man gets tied up, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. So instead of using your sex drive for the purpose it was intended, it becomes a place, a manipulative force that is used against you in your life. And then eventually you believe you can't control it. You know, you just can't control it. Well, what that when you're in that situation as a man, we usually, you know, we either distract or we medicate or what we try to do is we try to increase our will. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, I'm a man. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to have victory. So we get more disciplined. But that ultimately doesn't solve the problem, see, because the problem isn't, oh, my sex drive is now being manipulated by women or pornography or attraction to other things instead of what has happened is that at my core, I don't believe the right thing about my sex drive. See, I can't modify the behavior out there until I fix the belief in here. That's where the battle has to start. Uh, it, this, it, this is true across the board. This is axiomatic. Case in point, I, I know a guy who, uh, who's a drug and alcohol counselor. He has been for years and years and years and years and years. And so I'm always sending him people that need counseling and counseling, you know, or help in these situations. Because right. as a pastor, people come in, they'll say, hey, Pastor, I have this problem with alcohol or drugs or whatever. I need to break this. And so I said, okay. Go see this guy. And because it's a pastoral referral, you know, they sign a thing so he can talk to me and tell me a little bit about where they're at. And over the years, you know, I've known him for over 20 years. And over the years, he, we, we just ha- have this understanding. I, I'll say, how did it go? And he'll say, he's not ready yet. See, and the bottom line is that there is no therapy. There's no counseling. There's no nothing that's going to help a drug alcoholic break the bonds of alcohol until something deep within him says, I need to change what I believe about this. I, I want to believe something different. Yeah. And it's exact same thing with your sex drive is go back and start there. Go back and start there. And when you start there is when you can really start to realize, oh, the outward behavior will, will change eventually if I fix this first. Right. So if, if what's going on in our culture and with the men being influenced by this each and every day, how how do men engage in this battle in order to win? What are some specifics? How should they do it? Because you've given a lot of examples of how they shouldn't do it and yeah. the struggles that they're dealing with. What's the way they should be engaging in this battle? Well, like I said, you know, first one is establish proper belief. And that is, remember what uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians? He said, look, you need to... Uh, Buckle the belt of truth around your waist. The actual Greek is around your loins. 
which I think is kind of funny. But basically the point is simple. And that is, is that the, the most vulnerable part of you, you know, for a man is, is the loin area. Right. And so you want the belt of truth. You want, you want to start at the most vulnerable place. And that is, I need to establish proper belief by buckling the belt of truth around my loins. I need to discover the truth and I need to proclaim that truth each and every day. I can't live truth until I know truth. I can't know truth until I discover truth. So the first goal is to be made alive spiritually through the redemptive act of Jesus Christ as the power of the resurrection. It can raise the dead into life. And then what I need to do is focus on the truth of who Christ says I am. And that, and that's, and that, th- this is really what's interesting about uh, uh, homosexual attractions and uh, uh, divergent polyamorous attractions, uh, bisexual attractions, all of these types of attractions, all these type of orientations. I don't have a problem using that word either. Uh, is that the actual the, the issue in those is that they are statements of identity. See, they're statements of identity. Right. So if a guy says to his wife of 25 years who has three kids and says, well, I am a, you know, non-monogamous person. I am. So I ha- this is who I am. So what that does is in the expressive self society, that puts her on the defensive. See, right. see how, she, so instead of saying, no, your, your commitments, your, that you are the covenants you've made, the promises you've made, you are honor, you are loyal, you are responsible, you know, that argument can't be made. The argument that is made is this is who I am. In, in the same way, when someone says to me this, and I always correct people all the time, and a lot of people really don't like it, people say, well, I'm gay. And I say, no, you think you're gay. And people really don't like that's a really salty thing to say. Yeah. And and because my point is is that as a person who knows Christ, you cannot have any identity in anything other than Christ. Right. So it doesn't matter. It is uniform across the board. You see, my identity is first in Christ. So I don't go around and say, I am a male you know, heterosexual, cisgendered male. Right. Nobody, nobody says that. And that just goes to show you how crazy this expressive self has become in our society. Well, and it's also, I mean, how depressing to have your entire de- identity wrapped up in this one thing that is such a small part of who you are as a whole, like your sexual orientation or what you think it is being the overarching influence in your life rather than, you know, I have a family. I have these things. Like, it's just like, it's, it's a depressing thought that it's like, it's all wrapped up in just this one thing about you. And that's what it turns into is every aspect of how you live your life is, well, I'm gay. Um, so this influences every single other thing I do. And that's my identity is everything about me and what I'm doing and how I perceive life and do things is through this one lens of what I'm attracted to quote unquote, rather than, you know, I enjoy art. I enjoy it. Like all this other stuff, it all comes down yeah. to this one thing. You know well, what I mean? Exactly. Well, let's just, let's just continue down this path of what you brought up. And that is, is that, well, if you say that, uh, I am, you know, 
this identity, I am homosexual or gay, I am attracted to, I'm sexually attracted to guys, that's who I am. Well, what happens when you hit a dry spell for two years, right? Right. And you don't have any guys and you don't have any partners and you're in a dry spell. Do you cease to exist? Right. You know? You're, uh, you're putting it all on the fact that you are yeah. having sex consistently with this identity and so exactly and so it's like see see the, these are the tenets of hedonism these are the these are the philosophical tenets of these positions that have been found to be vapid meaning they make a promise that doesn't ever deliver and so this is why i you know i was reading uh, a man who uh is a homosexual activist he, he calls himself a gay activist he lives in seattle he writes prolifically and so I read him a lot just to kind of, you know, hey, what is he thinking? What's he going through? What's his positions? You know, he, he's extremely hostile towards people of faith. He doesn't like people, you know, uh, Christianity doesn't like it at all. So that's why I read it. And he said he wrote an article that was fascinating to me where he said, look, we, we have as gay men. We have to come to terms with the fact that. Our rate of chemical abuse is like 10 times that of the normal population of males. And we have to come to terms with the fact that de uh, depression and anxiety and all these things are 20 times that of heterosexual males. And he said something that I thought was insightful. He said, we can't blame this on society not accepting us anymore. Because the same rates of suicide, the same rates of... Uh, depression and anxiety, the same rates of chemical addiction happen in societies that have fully embraced gay lifestyle uh, in the globe over 40 years ago. Right. So, so there's no way, there's no stigmatism in some of these countries and this rate. So what does that tell you? Well, you can't blame society's prudish mores for creating this the, these these rates of uh, chemical addiction and other things. I think it's also important to note, he doesn't point this out, but 80 to 90% of all gay men are atheists. Mm. So, so these are not, the, the when people want to talk about, is it wrong for a man to be attracted sexually to another man, they just want to have a basic moral argument so they can say, you know, hey, your morals are prude and you're rejecting people. And that's not the argument of all. The argument is much different. And that is, why do you feel you can worship the God of your own drives? Right. Why, why do you worship the God of your own drives and the expressive self? Because I can tell you truthfully, your identity based on that is going to result in atheism, depression, possibility for chemical addiction, all of these things. Because that's not what your body was designed for. So... I think that's a, a very important thing is establish proper belief first so that you can live truthfully. Then once you do that, stop behaviors that interfere with your proper belief. You see a man, and this is, uh, uh, it's really, it's really funny, Jesse, because up until 2016, when the Supreme court said that people with homosexual uh, tendencies or same-sex marriage can have the same right. So they, they force that upon the American people and in a split decision. And I find that really fascinating. But up to that point, all the research that was coming out was how you're born this way. So it's a genetic thing. 
And they were all the research was pointing that since 2016, all of that research has gone away. And all the research now says, well, actually, you're not born that way. It's fluid. And the reason why it's all fluid now is because of the transgenderism debate. And now sexuality is all what? Fluid. Fluid, right. See? So so it's changed dramatically. So that court case, whether you agree with it or not, was based on a fallacy, you see, of our society. But our society worships what? The expressive self. That's the God we worship. So you can modify your, your attraction. Men, you can do this. You can modify your attraction. As a matter of fact, there is a group that marches in Washington, D.C. every year. The press refuse to cover it, but it is a group of people who were formerly had same-sex attractions. These people are now married with kids. They're super happy, well-adjusted, doing awesome, and they talk about their, their experiences. And, you know, They go in there and they go, look, you know, conversion therapy doesn't, you know, isn't going to work. You can't pray it away. But what you do have to do is come to Christ and discover true belief and realize that you're so much more than your sexuality. That's just something down the road. Right. And once that happens, then suddenly all these other things start falling into place in the same way when a man can modify a sexual attraction, you know. You can be attracted to all kinds of different uh, uh, people when you're younger, and you you can attract that. It, it's it, it is obvious beyond belief. A man can get married. He can be super attracted to his wife. They can be married for 15 years, and then he can be working in a girl who looks completely different than his wife, a totally different personality. Everything's different about it. She starts to flirt with him, and He's what? Sexually attracted to her. Right. So your attraction can change. And this is, research proves this. So the, the stop behaviors that interfere with proper belief. Uh, stop pornography. Because pornography is designed specifically to interfere with your sex drive. Pornography is designed to do what? To enhance your sex drive to be the thing you listen to. Right. So pornography, you know, is like pouring open gas, a nuclear bomb on a little tiny spark. And so it's designed to do that. So figure out ways. There's all kinds of ways to get over pornography. And please don't believe the lie that you can't stop. Just don't believe that. Uh, Number three, don't use sex if you're a single man to build intimacy with a woman you're not in covenant with. You see, once you have a covenant with this woman, then use sex to build deeper intimacy. But don't use sex to try to substitute emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, heart intimacy. Right. You see, those things take time and energy. So you need to kind of work through that. And the third thing I think you can do is get a deep understanding of your weaknesses regarding your sex drive. No, no guy's sex drive is perfect, right? right. It's never going to be perfect. Just like my appetite is not perfect. You know, sometimes I like to eat things that are good for me. And sometimes I like to be around food that's really bad for me. <laughs> it's the same way with your sex drive. And so what do you do? I, you know, don't put yourself in situations where you're going to compromise your belief on the intent and purpose of your sex drive. So 
you, you know, let's say, uh, let's use the illustration of food. So in lots of ways I can, you know, I can eat really healthy. I can drop weight. I can do good. I can do all that kind of stuff, but you put me in a donut store. Yeah. I have, very, I have very little control. You take me to an ice cream store, you know, ice cream, donuts, those things really are my weaknesses. So what I do is I just try to avoid it. Right. You know, and that's don't put yourself in a situation where you compromise your beliefs. Are you telling the ladies in the church to stop bringing donuts into the office? Is that what this is? <laughs> no, I just walk right by them. I just walk right by them. You guys, some, some of you have so much better self-control than I do. And then finally, I think the best way to fight this battle is remember the elements in the armor of God. Salvation has made you right with God. So... Even if you make a mistake or it doesn't work, you just have to keep reminding yourself, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. I can put off the old. I can put it aside. I can have freedom from it. Keep saying that over and over and over again until you believe it within your heart. Belt yourself with the truth of the gospel of Christ. Faith, the shield of faith can protect you from the attacks of the devil. Pursuit of righteousness, you know, you want and the sword of truth, the word of God. The more you fill yourself and learn these things, the better. And I'll just end on this. Guys, you know, the great, remember Jesus, when he was in the desert and he was being tempted by Satan, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He quoted the Bible. So, the more Bible you memorize, the more New Testament you get into your head, then the stronger you're going to be when the temptations come. So just remember, your sex drive is has a purpose and an intent. Like any tool, don't use it for the wrong thing because that will muck stuff up. Learn to control it and use it for the right thing. Mm, love it. Well, that we are out of time for today. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Pastor Doug. Um, you're going to be wrapping this up on Sunday um, during your sermon. Um, so make sure you guys tune into that. Also, we are um, closely approaching the uh, Foothills Men's Boot Camp at the end of this month. So um, if this is series is really speaking to you as a man and you're feeling like I need to be around some other men and really focus on my masculine heart. That's a great way to do it. So you can get signed up for that at foothills.org slash events. It's not too late yet, um, but we are getting close to that time. So you need to get on it. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you here at Foothills Christian Church in beautiful Boise, Idaho on Sunday. Goodbye.